All right, I want to welcome you down to the first Brazilian magazine podcast today, and we're joined very specially with uh, Ragav. Um, thank you for coming down. We welcome you. And uh, first of all, I want to touch on your upbringing back in Canada as a youngster. Now, getting involved with music at such an early age is sometimes attributed to the fact that you come from a very musical background or you have that very heavy influence in your family. Was that the case with you at all? Well, not musical in the sense that anyone was a singer or an artist or anything, but um, my family played music a lot. And there was a lot of music. Uh, I, I never remember waking up to an alarm clock. It was always a radio or a, or a tape deck. So I think that that kind of musicality is equally as important, you know, having a passion for music. And do you have like a first earliest musical memory you have or the first record you bought or something, the first track that had the biggest influence on you that you can remember as a youngster that made you decide to want to go in and start a career as a singer? Uh, well, there's a few things. I remember the first CD I bought. I remember when compact discs first came out and I remember getting, uh, I, I, got th I went to the store and I bought three CDs, which at the time was like a year's worth of allowance or something, I think. And I got uh, Snow, 12 Inches of Snow, and I got Apache Indian, and I got Michael Jackson's Dangerous. But er, growing up, I mean, earlier than that, I think, you know, a lot of the, my mom played a lot of old, old Bollywood films while she would drive me to swimming lessons when I was four years old or drive me to hockey practice or whatever it was. And I think those things, um, those songs really stick out in my head. You know, songs like that I ended up sampling later on, like Arpar and uh, In Can't Get Enough, those kind of tracks, you know, People don't know how deeply, like, I've, I've been hearing those songs since I was one years old, two years old, so um, it's deep in my psyche, those tracks. Uh, so realizing you wanted uh, to pursue a career in music, now it's not kind of common for a young Indian guy, young Indian boy or girl really, turn around to the mum and dad and go, hey mum and dad, I want to be a singer, and dash their dreams of their son or child ever becoming a doctor or an accountant or anything. It's not a typical thing for an Indian guy to turn around to their parents. How did they take that? And were they supportive at first? Or was it something that they sat you down and go, hey, you know, you need to think about this. Is this just a dream or is it just a hobby? What was their reaction to you turning around and saying, you know, you wanted a, a career in music? Well, I hadn't really been doing Since I was five years old, I was kind of, music was my life. And... Um, my mom's father was a doctor, her grandfather was a doctor, I mean, you know, and, and likewise in my dad's family. And I think for them it was kind of refreshing when, you know, here I was, in, obviously at the age of five I was passionate about one thing that was really important in my life and that was music. And that just grew and grew and grew and coming up to my high school years, I think they saw that, you know, I didn't ha we didn't have to have a conversation about mom and dad, I want to do music. It was just a given because there was nothing else I was interested in. And I think when it came time to go study at university or post-secondary, uh, they knew that I was going to end up leaving Calgary and going to New York or L.A. or whatever it was to pursue my dream, if you want to call it that. So they were pretty cool with it, pretty more than cool with it. They were very supportive. And, and uh, I suppose my family and, mine's, uh, and my naivety as to how difficult it would end up being worked in our favor. Because if I knew it would have taken five, six, seven years to even get someone to listen to my, one of my records, you know, perhaps I might have given up earlier. But I think, I think my ignorance was bliss, and, and the same goes for my family. We just thought, you know, if you love music, then something's got to come of it. Well, we, you touched just now on the whole New York and L.A. thing. Well, you did move to L.A., um, where you worked with infamous Seth Riggs. Now, if anyone doesn't know who Seth Riggs is, he's the guy who's kind of worked with people like Madonna, Stevie Wonder, MJ. 
he's kind of been around the block and he's done his thing and he is a big thing and for such a, a youngster in your teens working with someone with that how was that experience at all? it was an eye-opener to the industry it wasn't an opener I mean I have so many Seth Riggs stories I could do a separate interview about it I mean the first time I met Seth uh, I met him and uh, I was what 17 and uh, first of all just to get a hold of him was impossible and I just I was so persistent I was like a little irritating kid and he, I eventually flew down to LA and I met him and uh, within 10 minutes he I was in the I was in the head president of Sony uh, BMG or whatever in in uh, in Los Angeles I was in his office and I was playing him some really really bad demos that I made when I was like 15 or something and uh, you know he kind of chuckled and, and told me to come back in like 10 years or whatever but um, uh, I remember those experiences walking in and hearing Stevie Wonder doing his vocal rehearsals and seeing you know Michael Bolton do them and hearing Michael Jackson do them over the phone and those kind of things as a 17 year old you realize how crap you are compared to those guys who are 40 and so committed to their art form, so committed to being good singers that, you know, what, what you hear about and see on TV about the craziness of their lifestyle, really they're just singers at the end of the day. And that, that taught me a lot. It was grounding as opposed to being, you know, Tinseltown twinkling for me. It was pretty grounding and it was cool to see. And it reminds me today of the persistence I need to have if I want to maintain. I'm only one album deep in, really, and that's nothing. To, to grow and maintain a level of what we're doing, you know, you, you really need to be committed. Well, after doing a thing in LA, you came over to the UK, first went to Liverpool where you studied at Paul McCartney's Institute for Performing Arts, and then you moved down to London after a year. This was all happening so young for someone traveling around, and uh, as far as I know, you know, you're, you're born in Toronto, you moved to Calgary, Calgary to LA, LA to Liverpool, Liverpool to London. That's a lot of traveling for someone to be doing, you know, and around their 20s. Now, did you ever miss home at all? Did you ever miss the family and friends? And maybe you thought, you know, you're missing out on a normal upbringing, a normal youth? I never really thought I was missing out on a normal upbringing. I, I, I had a pretty white picket fence, normal lifestyle growing up. I mean, we were by no means rich, but by no means poor. We were, we were the epitome of the middle class. And uh, so I, I had a very, I had an extremely, extremely normal upbringing. I went to a high school that was you know everyone had their own cliques I mean it was typical what you see on television it was like the Fresh Prince and I think that was held me in good stead that when I got older and all of a sudden I was exposed to a really different lifestyle a really almost alternative lifestyle with the people that I met when I studied at some of these music colleges from around the world and stuff it was um, it was refreshing for me and I learned a lot and I learned how naive I was growing up in my little part of the world and uh, at the same time I treasure it. So that experience was great for me and it taught me so much more and it helped me become a good songwriter as opposed to writing about shallow things like baby why'd you go, I could write about baby why'd you leave me and really mean it. And uh, I think that translates in the first album and I hope even more so in the next one. Well, being in London then you finally got your deal as many artists got to work and grime it out and you got, you got your deal, you signed to V2 and A&R and Storyteller was put out eventually and you know, what were your initial expectations from the album? What is it that you wanted to achieve or what sort of message did you want to put out with Storyteller? Well, the album was kind of a year on to the process after we got signed. I think when I first put out uh, So Confused, I looked at the quality of the video and I wasn't sure if it, were, if it was even going to get played. And I think same with Can't Get Enough. I mean, I look, I look like a fish out of water in that video and I really didn't know what I was doing and to this day, I probably still don't, but more so now than I did then. 
and I, w I genuinely was, if you read the single release for Can't Get Enough, they, I actually start thanking people in Can't Get Enough because I was so paranoid that that was going to be the last piece of music I ever released. And my label's like, well, you don't thank anyone in your single, you save your thank yous for the album. And I was like, well, in case that doesn't happen, I'm going to start thanking people now. And that was kind of a mindset, kind of a, a little bit, I wasn't sure where it was going. And, you know, my manager and the people around me always told me, you know, it's going to start small, but it's going to, it's all going to snowball into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it did. And when Storyteller came about, I had the confidence then to say, you know what, now I'm going to be more experimental. It just doesn't need to be an, sorry, it doesn't need to be a um, Asian sample. It doesn't need to be anything. It could just be my musicality. So um, that was quite important to me. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, 2003-2004, Storyteller came out. And not just for you, but for, for British Asians, artists want to making it into the mainstream. It was a great year for them, you know, uh, getting regular airplay, radio play on all the videos being played on all the, the major music channels. All the players were playing it, really. And looking at you, if any new artist came out and wanted a great year for their first year in the industry, first year in the mainstream, they wouldn't, they wouldn't complain if they had the year you had. You know, you had three top tens, a top 20, you had racks of awards as well as new artists. Things were going well for you. It was a great year for you, wasn't it, 2004? Yeah, that was, that was one of the greatest years of my life, if not the greatest. And, you know, being involved in two projects, you know, my stuff and the two-play thing, and I'd written both and, you know, getting acclaimed for them. I mean, that was really cool. But uh, uh, at the same time, it was like it set this precedent now for where I want to move forward with it. And... Hopefully 2007 will be like a lot like 2004. And uh, um, I'll always look back on that year really fondly because it's, it's, I mean, I'd say 90% of my live streams came, uh, came true in that one year. Well, in that year as well, success came and so did celebrity status now. With that came an array, an army of fans, a huge following you know, around the world. Now, the whole celebrity status, the fame, was that something you found hard to deal with or did you take that in your stride? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... This sounds really boring, but I've never really felt like a celebrity. And, and I think that's because um, we, we never really acted like it. And when I see other artists sometimes traveling with packs of security guards and stuff, um, it makes me wonder if that's if that's because they need it or if that's what they want. And um, for me, I mean, at times we've needed it. And at, at times there have been things that make me sit back and go, wow, this is kind of cool. Is this really happening? But... Um, for the most part, I think that um, my fans are pretty cool. And when we go anywhere in the world, even in India, where, I mean, it, it can get crazy sometimes in India, and it is pretty crazy out there. Um, if you just kind of, if you're approachable to people, they tend not to take advantage of that. And uh, they tend to be approachable back with you and speak to you on a, on a really human level, as opposed to an iconic level. I think sometimes in our culture as Asians, we um, tend to make people icons quicker than we should, you know? It's like someone has a, a big single and all of a sudden it's like wow and i think because in india there's such a disparity between you know say an akshay kumar and someone on the street not only financially but in their lifestyle how they live where they live there's such a disparity that that's tends it's tend to, to it's tended to translate over even abroad amongst us non-resident indians and stuff and i think that I'm definitely not at the level of like, you know, I think the only true icon that we have left in India, like a true icon is Amitabh Bachchan. And I think other than that, a lot of us have a lot of work to do if we want to get to that level. 
Well, there are some wise words for you, and uh, I can agree with that. As and I've seen you play at numerous gigs, and I played alongside you, and I can say out of a lot of people, you are very approachable with the fans after the gigs, autographs, pictures. You know, we've seen that today. You know, just now we signing signing an autograph for it, for a young kid who just saw you. You know, it's pretty grand. A lot of people would have kind of not taken that and maybe ignored it. It's, it's nice to see, I and mean, we can see you're really grounded. But one of the questions. I've had burning from me when I've told people I'm doing this interview today, you know, haven't had the chance to ask you this. And it's a major question, major question. I'm sure loads of our female readers want to know this. The big question is, mate, are you, are you single? Well, yeah, I am single, but, you know, for a while I wasn't and I didn't talk about it. And, you know, I'm ch I choose to kind of take the fifth on that one in that I can tell you honestly right now I am. But if I wasn't, and like for the past little while I hadn't been, I did choose not to talk about it, and the only reason is because, um, uh, as much as I say, you know, ce celebrity doesn't affect anything. There is kind of certain aspects that you want to keep completely private, because if they go wrong, you don't want to put more pressure on a relationship, and if they're going right, you don't want to jinx it. And I'm a strong believer in that, and uh, it was pretty important to me to to give certain relationships their fair due and stuff. And you know, I met some amazing girls, and like, wow, you know. And, and I want to take advantage of the fact that if I connect with someone, I want to give it the full opportunity to, to flourish and stuff. And, and I think I'll continue to do that. And I think Beyonce said it really well, because she would talk about her relationships, and then they totally, I mean, she's at a different level, but people totally messed her around and stuff. But emotionally, I think it's very distressing on the person that you're with as well. So I'm single now, but you can't, don't ask me that in six months. Okay, fair enough. But there is hope for girls then for the next six months. Any readers right now listening, the guy is single, so if you see him, you know, you got a chance, basically. <laughs> uh, sticking on that note, just last question on that, on that subject, really. Lightheartedly, really, um, you've been on tour quite a lot, Irina. We're going to touch on that later on. But have there been any strange or most em really embarrassing proposals your female fans have put to you? Let's, like, can you just pick out one, one example, maybe? I, I got so many. Uh, those kind of stories I have an abundance of. Letters, letters from parents, letters from fathers asking me to marry their daughters. And I mean, some of these girls are all right, actually. And it's like, wow, wow. I got letters from fathers asking me to marry their daughters. I have girls hiding out in my hotel room a couple of times and stuff. Have you taken any of those letters, like written back, maybe sent a couple of emails or texts back, or maybe kind of given them, given them a, a ring back or two? Have you ever kind of maybe abused your status as getting fan mail at all, maybe? No. But I think some, most of the proposals I get aren't for marriage. I think they're for a quicker fix solution than, than getting married. All right, we're going to leave that now. Going back to Storyteller. Now, basically, one track I think that sticks out as a club DJ, really, that sticks out in all its might is really so confused. It's just one of those tracks you put on when you got it on a 12. It just had that vibe about it that you know it was going to be big and it wasn't going to go away. It wasn't a one-hit wonder and you know that you're going to be playing it, just with many other R&B tracks from across the pond, really. It was just one of those tracks you know, even still today, it still holds that kind of cred in the club. It's a floor filler, basically. Was that the whole aim when you were in the studio with T-Play, when you were making that, to make a track like that? Or did it just happen? How, how, how about did that come, how did that track come about, really? It just, you know, he, he wanted me to write songs that were in a vein of what he called his production style, which was basically reggae, pop, urban, I, mean, I don't even know what you want to call it. I mean, he liked to think it was a really unique sound that was unique to him, but in fact, it was just reggae music, and uh, we, had a, we had a great time, and I enjoyed the time I spent writing with him, and this was just one of the songs. I mean, I think in a span of 
I came over for 10 days to work with him and wrote 12 songs. And this and uh, It Can't Be Right were the other ones. And I still feel like some of the better songs were never even released and they were there. Um, but So Confused is one that was really dear to my heart. It's completely from, completely from the heart. It was completely something I was going through at the time. And um, it was pretty special. But there was no, no premeditated kind of, we need a club banger, we need that. I think when you do that sometimes, you can't come up with it because you, you, you set yourself up for failure. It was just a song that was a true story that I wrote and it happened to do what it did. Well, being one of those first pioneers in the whole Asian artist coming to the mainstream, it came a lot of pressure and a lot of comparisons. Now, you're often put in the same bracket as uh, Jay Sean, a UK-based artist. Now, did that ever, does that ever bother you now today that people compare you or put you in the same bracket or pigeonhole you to it as the same artist? And what's your view on Jay as an artist as well? It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I, I, I totally understand why people do that. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he was in the chart the same time I was in the chart. He was heavily influenced by R&B and hip-hop as I was. And, you know, it totally is. The music, I think, is totally different. I think as artists, we're totally different. I think if you interviewed Jay Sean and interviewed me, you hear two completely different voices, um, two totally different backgrounds, and two totally different people. But we're both Asian, and I think it'd be silly to uh, look past that. I think that, you know, the fans look at it, non-Asians look at it, and, you know, we need to address that that's a reality. So it doesn't bother me at all. I think Jay's a tremendous artist. I think he's probably going through a tough time right now with his record label and stuff, and I wish him all the best. I mean, I've, I've tried to call him before to tell him that, and I've, I've mentioned that to Rishi that, you know, tell him to stay strong and, and do his thing because it's very frustrating when, you know, my case is slightly different, but it's very frustrating when you have a label that throws a bunch of belief behind you and then all of a sudden pulls it away. I can't, Im I can't imagine what that's like. And um, I'm sure he'll be fine and come out on the other end of it, you know, rosier than people think. Well, looking back at Storyteller, um, just lastly, it sold 1.5 million albums worldwide. And, you know, that came a lot of recognition we've talked about. Now, the Raghav brand, some may say that, you know, it's bigger. It's bigger in India than maybe it's bigger in, in the UK or Canada. Now, does that bother you at all that maybe where you've grown up or where you reside now, um, that you're maybe not as big as you are in a country halfway around the world? Is that something you want to work on and try and translate that success into UK, in Canada, into Europe, or are you happy with the way things are? You know, my music was never even released in North America, and I was playing, um, I played New York about 10 times this year. I've played, I played my hometown for 8,000 people. So while I don't see, uh, you're right, the mainstream kind of success, that's, that's pretty much confined to the Asian market. Um, I think that's pretty special, and I'm happy with it. And of course, I'd love to grow on that, but again, when we st if you start talking numbers, then it becomes really unmusical. I think that when people dance to Angel Eyes or they get down to Can't Get Enough or something, then it's kind of like, you can just say, all right, they, they, they know the lyrics. I've done shows in places like San Francisco and Houston and, you know, gosh, where, where have we done shows? Detroit, where people know all the lyrics to all the songs. That's pretty cool, and, and I love that, and um, I, think, I think we need to grow on it, but there's no level of disappointment at all, I think. I think where music is released and where there's a commercial release and you're on the MTVs and stuff, there'll be more recognition. And hopefully we get that with the next album. But even if we didn't, I mean, 
I'm way beyond the dreams I ever had of what I would do in my life musically. So I'm pretty satisfied, but I'm still hungry. Well, talking about the new album, really, want to get onto that now. Now, as far as we know it, when can we expect the new album to drop in stores and when can we see that on the shelves? We should have expected it about three, four months ago, but I think in reality, nothing's going to happen till early next year. But by the end of this year, even if I got to go out there and deliver the songs myself to the radio stations, you'll hear a song that'll start a single that'll start getting promoted by the end of the year. And uh, hopefully the album will drop early next year, mid next year. And that, that's a realistic goal. And I think um, anything longer than that, and I'd, be dis dis uh, I'd start to get disappointed. But uh, yeah, n not much longer now. We're almost at the end of the year anyway, so. We did a lot of work with uh, Mush and Sly and Robbie on Storyteller. Will you still be working with the same producers or are we going to see any new artists on the new album at all that we didn't see on Storyteller? There'll be new producers and there'll be a lot of producers that are similar or the same. And I think, you know, it's important to, be, to have continuity. One sec. It's, uh, thank you so much. I'll come in and take care of it. It's important to have continuity, but at the same time, it's also important to, um, it's also important to uh, try new things. I think you'll hear stuff on this album that you'll think is very unragged compared to Storyteller. And then you'll hear stuff that you'll think, oh yeah, this completely makes sense. So the idea is to give people what they want to hear at the next level. And, and grow and, and also give people that make them go, well, you know, that's kind of different for Ragif. And I think we accomplished that with this album. So looking out right now at the charts and everything, are there any kind of new artists out there that, you know, you admire, you, you think, you know, I wish I did that or maybe I'd like to work with them somewhere in the future? Do you have that opinion? Do you look out and do you look, do you, do you, as an artist, do you look into the charts and go, hey, I like this guy, I like what he's doing, I like his sound, I want to try and replicate that, I want to try and maybe get in contact and work with him. Do you have that kind of um, way you think and the way you go about doing tracks? Yeah, and, and, it, and it ranges across all genres of music. I'm just doing a, I did a song yesterday with a country singer named Paul Brandt, who's like a major country singer. He had a top 10 billboard, I think a number one billboard in America a couple of years ago. And uh, he's a huge artist and he wants me to do something on a Christmas album he's doing. That kind of stuff really excites me. And people may go, well, what's Ragif doing with a country singer? That is just so weird. But it's just music. And I love Neil's, uh, Neil's stuff. I think it's tremendous. I think that he's a, a tremendous songwriter. I'd love to work with people like him. And then I'm always jealous of people like Busta Rhymes and Missy Elliott and those guys. I mean, I, I just think they're the best at what they do. I think Nelly Furtado's, I, I look at her as something, someone I'd like to model myself after that she can do, you know, I'm like a bird, which is totally different from promiscuous girl and I just I love both records and it doesn't make me go you know oh well she's R&B now and she used to be indie or whatever it's like she's just a talent and that's what I want to be like so then kind of crossing and touching all bases really on all the genres that's what you want to kind of achieve I just want to be a musician and I think that you know what you want to be and what people want to the, the pigeonholes or wherever they want to put you in those can sometimes be two different things but if you're really talented and you look at someone like Nelly and you know the people she's hooked up with um, it always comes through and it always works out in the end. And so I'd like to be on the level where I can do that and call upon the people to help me kind of make that, real that, that, that a reality. Sorry. Um, looking at what you've done and you're performing in the last two years, you know, you've, you've talked about New York, all around the UK, all around America, India. This love of performing you have, are we going to see that continue or now that you're getting older, you're going to be kind of slowing up? <laughs> 
hell does that mean? What do you mean I'm getting older? Maybe you want to, you know, sit down, start a family, you know, that kind of indi the Indian thing to do. Are we going to still see that, seriously, that progression, though, that you've done? Because as an artist, I'm not seeing anyone in the UK-wise, anyway, tour and perform out club-wise, you know, as much as you have in the last two years. Is that still going to continue for you? I don't know. I'm too senile to answer that question. I don't know what that means. I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I suppose I am getting older. But, um... So are you. <laughs> and I think that, I think that uh, you will see me out as much as possible. And that doesn't, you know, when the time comes, it's not here now, but that shouldn't interfere with wanting to have kids and get married. But um, not yet. Well, I don't play that to my parents. They'd love for me to get married and have kids. But not just yet. I, I still got a lot of clubbing to do. Okay, well, good stuff to hear, really. And uh, this love of performing you have. Now, we see a lot of professionals that, you know, in, your, in the industry make that transition from stage to screen and take up acting as a side role. Are we going to be seeing that from Raghav in any time near in the future? I don't know. I was offered some Bollywood stuff this year, but I didn't take it. And um, maybe I'd love to play myself in a movie, like have a cameo. But unfortunately, I'm not cool enough. They don't want me to play me. They want me to play Shariar or something else. So we'll see. That'd be, that'd be nice, but... And again, you don't get to kind of get a full snog on with the Bollywood actresses as well, you know, in the movies. Maybe that's a little bit something that when they bring, start to bring that in and Ashri Rai steps up and puts out a contract, maybe you will take that acting role up, right? You know what? I think that if, if I need to kiss her just by being on camera, if I can't kiss her off camera, I have no right to kiss her on camera. So you got a lot of respect for Ashri Rai then, yeah? No, I'm saying she can kiss me off camera and then I'll get in a movie with her. But I do have respect for her, yes, of course, yeah. Good answer, good answer. All right, well, uh, where, what do you want yourself, when this is all said and done, you know, what would you want your legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered, really, by yeah, all the fans yeah, and stuff, man? We're not saying you're old, but, you know, in about 10... What, <laughs> what would you want, you know, in about 25 years, someone picks up a Ragaf CD and says, hey, I remember this guy. What was it, the first thing you want, or any messages you want to put out, really, that you want your legacy to be when this is all said and done? You know, in 25 years, I hope they're picking up my new album. I want to keep making music. I look at artists like Stevie Wonder. And, you know, if someone said to him when he was 25 years old, uh, what do you want people to do when, you know, when you're 50? And if he said, well, I hope they listen to songs in the key of life and they love it. But he didn't. He probably said, well, I hope they like my new record that I put out. And that's what I want. I want to be an artist that keeps making music. I probably still won't be doing the club circuit when I'm 50. And I probably, you know, but that's cool, man. I want to make, you know, if it's adult music I'm making at that time, it's cool. If I'm making, if I'm still making R&B music, it's great. If I'm making Hindi songs, cool. I don't care what it is. I just want to make music in 25 years. And that, that'll mean that I don't have to do anything else. So that's my goal. And believe me, every artist, whether they want to admit it or not, has a paranoia that at some point they're going to have to get a real job. And it's a total paranoia for me. And I don't, want, I don't want that to happen because I've done all the real jobs in the world and I hated every single one of them. And this is the only job I've ever had that I like. So I want to keep it. Fair dues, fair dues. Now, last question before we wrap it all up. Any young Asians who are listening out there right now, you know, they probably look out look up to someone like you and see you as a role model and what you've achieved and all your success having made it and making your way through the ranks in the industry now is there any advice you could give to any uh, young budding talents out there youngsters who want to make it and kind of follow in your footsteps or do their own thing what kind of advice would you give them right now if they're listening 
Well, do music for the right reason. I mean, don't think that there's a bunch of fortune and fame at the end of it, because there really isn't. I mean, I'm by no means rich, and I don't think people realize that. Um, if you love music, though, you get up every day doing what you want to do, and you have a reason to make music other than just, you know, how much am I going to get for this or how much am I going to get for that? And I think, unfortunately, what's happening now is that people are seeing people of Asian descent having success and they see it as like a jackpot career and that's totally untrue it's it's just a career that's based on passion it always will be and so if you love music and the art is in your heart then then follow it and if you're doing it for any other reason then get out and become a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> there you had it okay well thanks a lot for joining us we know you're really busy at the moment and uh, we wish you all the best for the success in 2006 and for 2007 and hopefully, all you guys listening out there, you will see Ragav hitting a club very, very shortly. Thanks a lot for joining us. Cool, man. Thanks. Take care.